I love this story from Acts chapter 3. It's so beautiful in its simplicity and so powerful in its truth. Peter and John, two of Jesus' original disciples, now elevated to the role of apostle to lead the newly formed Holy Spirit-infused community of believers called the church that we saw launched in chapters 1 and 2. Even though they now believed in Jesus as the Son of God and had begun preaching in his name in Jerusalem, they had not broken away from their Jewish roots. They never intended to start a new religion. They believed that Jesus as the Messiah was the fulfillment of everything Jewish. Everything in the Jewish scriptures that it had predicted, everything the Jewish faith had anticipated. So as devout Jews, they continued to go to temple for their usual time of prayer. It's just part of their normal routine. And just as routinely, this crippled man was carried to one of the gates to beg, as he had been doing, we're told, his entire life. There was no particular reason why Peter and John should notice this man. They were, they were always beggars hanging around the temple gates. They were a fact of life. It's sort of like the beggars surrounding the Taj Mahal in India or the homeless so that are usually around Penn Station in Manhattan. These beggars, they weren't a nuisance or an eyesore. They were just part of the scenery. We're told the man had been lame since birth. He grew up begging. Maybe he had seniority among the beggars, you know, had his own special spot marked out on the sidewalk. In fact, it would have been more noticeable if he wasn't there. Something would have been missing. Imagine what it must have felt like to be this crippled beggar. He was an expert in ankles and knees. He was an expert, yet he couldn't walk. Every day of his life, he saw nothing but people passing him by, caught up in their own thoughts, their own plans, barely giving him any notice. There were no homeless shelters in the ancient world, no social workers, no soup kitchens. He was on his own to survive. He had no expectations, no hope, just wanting to get enough to get through one more day. If he didn't get enough coins, he didn't eat, period. If he could just get eye contact with someone, uh, maybe then he might get a coin in his beggar's bowl. But most people just kind of looked right through him as if he wasn't there. In some ways, I see him as a symbol of our world where people are broken and crushed by life. Some have suffered great losses. Others are carrying burdens too heavy for one to bear. Some days it's as if the whole world seems to be stumbling around on crutches. There are a lot of people who are experts in ankles and knees, but who cannot walk. The beggar asked Peter and John for alms, for pennies, spare change. And I guess their first impulse would have been, you know, kind of to dig in and find whatever change they've got and kind of plunk it into the beggar's bowl without even breaking stride. But they resisted that impulse. Instead, Peter did something unusual. In verse 4, it says, Peter looked straight at him as did John. And then Peter said, look at us. Peter looked him right in the eye. He went right into the man and saw him, not as an object of pity, but as a real human being. Peter learned that from Jesus. He had seen how Jesus would enter right into a person's painful world and yet treat them with dignity and respect and grace. A leper, someone blind or disfigured, a, a social outcast, someone shunned by society. Jesus entered right into their pain. And so Peter and John, they learned that from Jesus. You know, one easy way to study the Bible is to look for examples to follow or errors to avoid examples to follow or errors to avoid. This is definitely a story with a positive example. 
There, were no, there was no reason for Peter and John to notice this poor man except that they were open to the Holy Spirit. They were no longer just going through the routines of life. Since Pentecost, they had a new purpose, a new power. They were Christ's agents in the world. They knew Jesus was at work through them, and they were ready to lay aside their own self for Jesus and his kingdom, ready to go and do whatever God led them to do. Their perspective on life had changed. They, they opened their eyes. They saw the needs of others. And because they were open to the Holy Spirit, they began to look at situations and people from God's point of view. They saw this man, not an object on the streets, not someone to step over, but as a real person with real needs. You could say Peter and John have spiritual situational awareness. Spiritual situational awareness. The phrase situational awareness means that you're kind of awake to what's happening around you. You don't have your nose buried into your cell phone. You're sensitive to your environs. You're cognizant of your circumstances, of who's there, what's going on. You notice who's in the shadows, head on a swivel. Situational awareness is what will help prevent you from getting mugged on a dark street or accosted on a subway platform. And it will also help you to take advantage of opportunities, opportunities that others might miss. Peter and John had spiritual, situational awareness. Because they're in tune with God's Spirit, they're aware of what's going on around them, and they're not going to the temple on autopilot. They're not just caught up in their own stuff that they miss this opportunity that God brings their way. They were sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. They were aware that God is at work all the time, and so they notice. And friends, that is a real spiritual gift, to have spiritual situational awareness, to notice the people around you from a spiritual point of view. Do you have any spiritual situational awareness, or do you go through your day mostly on autopilot? That's a real challenge for us as followers of Christ today, to be aware of what God is already doing, to be aware of who God brings into your sphere of influence, and then be open to what God might want you to do about it. If we had been there, would we have been sensitive to this man? Would we have even seen him? It doesn't have to be a, a crippled beggar. It doesn't have to be a, a homeless person. I mean, offering to buy a homeless person a meal, uh, in some ways that's almost become a Christian cliche. It's still a good thing to do rather than give cash, but that's not really the point here. The point is about being aware of the movement of the Holy Spirit and how God might use you as a spiritual influencer in the life of another person. How good is your spiritual situational awareness? For a friend who's hurting or carrying grief, a coworker who's struggling, a family member who needs you, but you've just kind of been ignoring them because you've just been too busy. We walk by people every day without noticing them. Even people in our own homes, and it's easy for us to become accustomed to the, the broken world. We don't even see it anymore. Not even a blip on our personal radar screen because we're just so focused on ourselves, on our problems, on our to-do list, our comfort. It's easier just to insulate ourselves to avoid the pain that exists in other people. Kind of build a safe uh, bubble around ourselves. You know, most people today are motivated by only two things. There are two things that people want out of life, only two things people really want from God personal peace, and personal prosperity. That's it. That's what, pretty much what everybody wants. Personal peace, personal prosperity. As long as I've got mine, just leave me alone. 
As long as I have my peace and my prosperity, just shut the rest of the world out. But that's not the way of Christ. Our whole world looks like it has flung itself on the temple doorstep to beg for alms. It is difficult to look directly at people and to see their needs and pains. It can remind us of our own deep needs, which we have not dealt with, our own weak spots, our own crippled personalities. It's easier just to go inside the temple and pray, just do the religious thing week after week, do the religious thing, follow the spiritual routine. But sometimes it's more holy to serve God outside the temple than it is to pray inside. Sometimes it is more holy to serve God outside the church than it is to pray inside. Like Peter and John, as Jesus' people, we are the ones whom God expects to be conscious of the damage at our door. We are the ones who should be most aware of those who've been twisted and bent out of shape by the evil and hardship of this world. Eyes open to the people who are crippled by anxiety or paralyzed by hate or just terrified of the future. People who do not have a sense of hope, who, who don't see any hope in God, who are putting on a good show but who on the inside are just trying to just survive one more day. When Peter and John met this beggar, they stopped and they spoke with him. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Walk. They introduced him to a power that comes only through Jesus. They were electrified with the presence of God's Spirit, and they wanted to pass on that spark to him. And what happened? Let's read in verse 7. Taking him by the right hand, Peter helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. He jumped to his feet and began to walk. Then he went with them into the temple courts, walking and jumping and praising God. Instantly, muscle and sinew and tendons and joints, they came alive, all kind of injected with God's Holy Spirit power. Kind of jolted the man to his feet. He was as amazed as anyone. Never saw it coming. He sprang to his feet, started jumping around like someone put fire ants down his toga, I guess. And then verse 9, when all the people saw him walking and praising God, they recognized him as the same man who used to sit begging at the temple gate called Beautiful. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Filled with wonder and amazement. The story isn't just about a beggar, now blessed with legs that work. That's just step one. Step two is the ripple effect, the impact on the people who saw what happened. Peter and John were open to a much wider opportunity that God laid at their feet, and they weren't about to shy away from it. They weren't shy about seizing that opportunity when it presented itself. They boldly go on to begin to preach to the whole crowd about the power that had flowed into this beggar's legs. Peter points them to the source of that power, starting in verse 12. Let me read it for us. Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at, this, at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. You handed him over to be killed, and you disowned him before Pilate, though he had decided to let him go. You disowned the holy and righteous one, and ask that a murderer be released to you. You killed the author of life, but God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this. By faith in the name of Jesus, this man whom you see uh, and know was made strong. It is Jesus' name 
and the faith that comes through him that has completely healed him, as you can see. Wow. Peter and John gave this beggar something he didn't even ask for. Uh, yes, they gave him walking and leaping and praising, but they also gave him Jesus. They pressed beyond the man's external needs to his eternal needs. And then they turned their gaze on the crowd because everyone who witnessed happened had, were equally in need of that same inner touch of Christ. They were equally broken on the inside. Peter and John learned that from Jesus too. Jesus did the exact same, same thing with many of his healings, turned this display of his healing power into a teachable moment about grace and about the power of God. Because all physical healings, friends, they've got a short lifespan. Even Lazarus, whom Jesus, you know, he raised him from the dead, he would have to go through sickness and death again. People healed of cancer, heart disease, or even COVID, you know what, they're gonna get sick again because at some point, every healed person will die. I mean, we all will. There's no outrunning that reality in our finite world unless Jesus returns. Death is our final enemy in this world. A healed person will get sick again. So Jesus and now Peter and John, they, they press on to this deeper need beyond the temporary physical to the eternal, the eternal need in every person's heart for a new relationship with the living God. It was a time when God saw the world lying like a cripple on the doorstep of heaven. God had something to offer, something the world didn't expect, something the world didn't appreciate, didn't understand. His own life and love made visible and personal in Jesus Christ. That's what Paul's audience, or Peter's audience didn't understand. If you read through the Gospels, especially the Gospel of Mark, which is my favorite, the early work of Jesus was almost entirely a matter of healing broken bodies and damaged minds, of bringing true wholeness to those who were shattered and broken. And when people met Jesus, they were looking at love incarnate. In Jesus, they saw complete wholeness coming into contact with what Mark calls all manner of sickness and the demon possessed in Mark 1.23. Wherever Jesus went, enormous crowds gathered, and we read he healed them all even to the point of his own physical exhaustion. Christ was this radiant center of life in a world marked by disease and death. He healed physical ills, but he also touched the storm centers of personality, of emotions, and just plain old evil. Jesus pressed beyond the external, turned a spotlight onto the deeper need of reconciliation with the Father. When a paralytic was brought to Christ, the first thing Jesus said to him was, Son, your sins are forgiven. And then to show that he had the authority to forgive sins, he heals the man's legs. That's Mark 2. Jesus came to make people spiritually whole. Spiritually whole. To change them from self-absorbed individualists to sons and daughters of God. Many accepted healing of body and mind, but far fewer were willing to let Jesus touch that central citadel of the much-beloved self. The central citadel of the much-beloved self. In that sense, Jesus was a liberator. He set people free, free from guilt, free from annoying sense of insecurity, free from despair, from a rotting away at their insides, from that fear that's leading, uh, of leading a meaningless life to the fear of suffering. Our beggar in the temple asked Peter and John only for money. But Peter gave him what he didn't ask for. He gave him leaping and praising because he gave him an extension of the touch of the hand of Christ. And that was what made him truly whole. 
as followers of Christ, we're now the hands of Jesus in the world. People are searching for something to help them make sense out of life. What do we have to offer? We have the most exciting and fulfilling message ever given to the world. We can give more than the world expects. The beggar asked only for alms. Peter gave him a Lord to love, a new life, a new purpose that makes him walk and jump in praise. When his hopes were the lowest, God got involved, and that's the good news of Jesus. What does this mean for us today and for the church of the future? As Christians, following the example of Peter and John, we're supposed to be conscious of the people at our doors who are in need. Compassionate actions are wonderful and very important. Leading a, a good moral life is also to be commended, but Christian witness needs explanation. Deeds and words, they have to go together. Christian witness needs an explanation. It's not automatically apparent to people why you do something, even if it's a nice thing that you do. It is not automatically apparent why you act the way you do. And Christians, it's humbling for us to recognize that we don't have a corner on doing good deeds in the world. We're not the only ones in the good deeds department. There are tons of secular groups that do good things for the poor, medical nonprofits and such, lots of other religious groups that do the same thing. I even know a guy who's a Satanist priest. He helps to run a food kitchen. Just because we do good things, that's not necessarily going to point people in the direction of Jesus. And folks aren't always going to ask you for an explanation. We have to be the ones who have a little boldness, who are willing to open our mouths to share about our experience with Jesus Christ without feeling intimidated or embarrassed, sensitively sharing our story. There's a famous story about the 13th century philosopher, theologian, Thomas Aquinas, who was once summoned to the Vatican into the presence of Pope Innocent IV. The Pope had been going over all the vast holdings, the wealth of the church. There was supposedly a table covered with gold coins. And the Pope said, See, Thomas, the church can no longer say, Silver and gold have I none. And Aquinas wryly replied, True, Holy Father, but neither can she say, Arise and walk. There is a moral in that story that we need to ponder as a Christian community in 21st century America. Even in the middle of a COVID crisis, Christians in the U.S., ourselves included, we enjoy a pretty high degree of worldly prosperity. Our financial success allows us to have a greater sense of ease and comfort than at almost any other time in church history. And with worldly resources can come the loss of spiritual vigor the spiritual vigor that characterized the fledgling church. There is a danger that comes whenever a movement succeeds and becomes more of an institution. Institutions can become monuments and monuments become museums. And that's the danger for the church. We can become a well-oiled machine organized around an inspiring vision, mapped out with compelling strategies, populated with exciting programs. But without the Holy Spirit power, we're just spinning our wheels. In America, we can do church, and we can do it well. And it can look great, and people will flock through the doors, you know, when we're able to meet indoors. And we can do it all without the power of the Holy Spirit. On the outside, churches can look great, even say all the right things, believe all the right doctrine, fill stadium-sized sanctuaries, and still be devoid of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We can have a flurry of church success, and a plethora of, of programs and actually do nothing to advance the kingdom of God. That's the danger with success, with, with resources, with talent. 
In a church, we can have talented preachers, talented musicians, talented vocalists, talented counselors, and on and on. And they can do a great job solely relying on their own talent without the infusing presence of the Holy Spirit. Now, how do you tell the difference? I really can't say from the outside. It's not just emotional intensity. I mean, that's probably the number one substitute for the Holy Spirit is emotion, a feeling. Emotional intensity uh, is probably the number one substitute for the Holy Spirit. But how do you tell the difference? It's hard to say, but Jesus did give us one clue. Matthew 7, 20, by their fruits, you will know them, Jesus said. He said, you'll know them by the kind of fruit that's produced. And fruit takes a while to develop. I think Jesus was saying you have to look at the long term. What's the long term impact? Not just the flash in the plan, not the meteoric growth and just as quickly the decline, but long term. Are there deep roots? Are there fruit that lasts in terms of disciples? Not just the fly by night crowd that comes and goes with every Christian fad. So easy for the church to become a well oiled machine, but without power. If we lose the simplicity of our absolute dependence on the risen Christ, if we lose that, that hunger to know Christ and to make him known, if our faith just becomes routine, if we start to rely on our own talents and resources, the church of the future will need to hone these two skills, spiritual situational awareness and a simple dependence on the Holy Spirit. And that starts with each one of us making sure our own passion for Christ is healthy and vibrant and connected to the Spirit, that our faith does not just become routine. And that's a real challenge in this time of the COVID. It's a, it's a daily challenge to kind of keep fanning the flames of your faith, to keep pursuing Christ actively through daily disciplines of prayer and Bible study and fellowship and worship, all those essentials that I talked about last week. It is a challenge, but that is the challenge that we're in. So that's really practice spiritual situational awareness with each other. In the story about the beggar, we could actually play both parts. We should follow the example of Peter and John, but we're also very much like the beggar. We are experts in ankles and knees, but cannot walk. We all have our own areas in our own lives where we know we need the touch of Christ in order to be made whole. A sense of loneliness or isolation, of guilt, of confusion, of direction, of doubt, despair, fatigue or fear, inadequacy, regret. The beggar thinks he knows the limit of what he can ask for, a few coins, but Peter gives him so much more. Do you put a limit on God's work in your life? Do you limit God in your prayer life? Imagine yourself as that beggar calling out to God, what do you really ask for? What do you really want? Healing of body or soul or mind? Is it forgiveness? Whatever it is, hear Peter as the instrument of God's spirit speak to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And in the same manner, that we have been touched by Christ, we can touch others. What have you received from Christ? Whatever that is, give it away. Begin believing that God wants to use you in someone else's life this week. That's when the church is at its best, aware of opportunities and willing to respond. That's a church with a very bright uh, future. When each and every one of us begins to believe that God wants to use you in someone else's life this week. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you just for this very simple story, but how powerful to put ourselves into that story to be both beggar and John and Peter, Lord, to be the ones who are in desperate need of your touch, Lord Jesus, 
but also to be those who are so intimately connected with your Holy Spirit that we can offer your touch to others. Maybe not through physical healing, but definitely through the word of the gospel and the encouragement that we can offer, Lord. Help us to be bolder for you this week. Help us to be aware of the situations we might be walking into. To know that anytime we enter a room, you're already there. You were there ahead of us. In any situation, any phone call, any Zoom meeting, Lord, whatever way we're connecting with people, help us to have the confidence to know that you were there ahead of us and you're preparing the way for us. Help us to be bold for you this week. And we ask this in your precious name. Amen.